my name is Paul Martin. I am part of the University District uh, Small Group, and I am reading uh, scripture this morning. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. It's page 571 of your blue Bible. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at your hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, Paul, you nailed it. Uh, he, he walked up this morning and was like, you gave me the two hardest names in the whole Bible to read. What? Come on. <laughs> it was great. It was perfect. Um, this week, we are beginning the, the last couple, the final chapter of Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you missed it, Matt Greco was up here the last couple weeks uh, taking us through chapter 3. If you haven't had a chance to, to hear those messages, I encourage you to um, go back online and listen to those. Um, Matt is also part of our pastoral search team. Um, after his message a couple weeks ago, a group of us sat down with Eugene and Will, uh, the gentlemen from Vanderbloemen that are kind of leading, leading the search for us. Um, during that conversation, as we were answering questions about the church, uh, they asked, like, what, what, why do we have such a strong core of faithful people here? And uh, one of the things we talked a lot about was just the community. People here are living in community. Our community groups are strong. Um, Matt commented that the, uh, the Ballard community group is the best. Everybody laughed. Um, <laughs> after it calmed down, he said, I'm not making a joke. I'm stating fact. Ballard is the best. Um, if I had known that Matt was going to spout blasphemy, we never would have invited him to preach. So just, just letting you know, we all know Columbia City is the best. Um, this, this past Thursday, um, sitting with the best community group in the church, I was sharing about, about this morning, and um, as we walked through Philippians, there have been weeks where we've done like, these, these really deep dives into the text to draw out the truth and the beauty of God's word, and let that then, then shape and form and change us. Um, this week, our deep dive into the original language is, is very simple. Um, there's one key statement I want to focus on, and that's, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious, that's it. The original Greek translates directly to be anxious about nothing. So our, our deep dive is over, that's it. <laughs> very, very simple statement. Um, that's incredibly hard to live, right? There's, there's no 
There's no like, oh yeah, it means this, it means that. No, it's, it's just hard. It's a, it's a very simple statement, very difficult. Um, we're gonna need a lot of help from the Spirit, so let's go ahead and pray together, and, and I'll dive in. Um, Father, thank you, for, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the, the depth and the beauty and the richness that we have, and thank you also for the simplicity um, that, that you give us, Lord, when it, when it comes to something that is practically very hard to live out, you make, you make the statement simple to understand um, so that we can focus on the obedience, focus on, on the walking forward. And um, we just ask for, ask for your presence this morning, ask for your peace this morning as, as we think about and talk about um, fear and anxiety and the, and the things that, that stir that up in us, Lord. We need your peace to keep us calm. We need your peace to draw us back to yourself and just ask for your presence here with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, so our focus is going to be on, on verses kind of four through seven here. Um, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, I memorized these verses in high school. Don't be anxious, instead pray. Um, for me as a 16-year-old, that was great. It gave me something to do. I feel worried, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm not gonna worry about it anymore. Um, The problem with how I applied that was that I wasn't actually letting the peace of God do anything for me. I was just, okay, I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm not gonna worry about it. And so I was just kind of shoving it down. I wasn't actually feeling whatever it was to deal with it. I was just like, like when you're pulling weeds and you gotta dig up the roots, I was just, I was just cutting them with a lawnmower, right? I was, the roots were still there, they're still going deeper, I was just chopping it off and chopping it off and chopping it off. Um, because if the Bible tells me not to be anxious and I feel anxiety, that must mean I'm weak, right? It must mean that I don't have a mature faith if I continue to struggle with fear, if I continue to struggle with anxiety and, you know, I'm a teenage man, I'm gonna, whatever, I'm, I'm not weak, right? Second Timothy, one of my favorite verses, we read that God does not give us a spirit of, of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And Okay, perfect. No fear, power instead. For the last 20 years, that's how I've thought about fear and anxiety. I have power, I have this thing, I'm just gonna cut it off and push it down because that means I'm trusting God and he's gonna deal with it. When in reality, all I'm doing is buried it. I'm not actually dealing with it. If I'm feeling fearful, if I'm stressed, I just need to pray more, okay? I just need to remember that I have a spirit of power, not of fear. I just need to believe in the promises of God. I just, I just, I just. Can you hear the problem with that? Every time I say I just, I'm taking my eyes off of Jesus and putting them in the mirror. I'm trying to solve my brokenness with more brokenness. I'm completely removing the spirit of God from the equation by saying I just need, I just need, I just need. As I studied this passage this week, God really opened my eyes and my heart to the freedom and beauty that comes with embracing our fear, embracing my fear, right? Acknowledging it for what it is and processing through it start to finish getting to the roots and pulling them up instead of chopping them off with the lawnmower. Okay. For the last 20 years, anytime any type of fear, anxiety popped up, I, I would just go be busy, right? I would find some activity. I would distract myself. 
whatever it was, until I could not think about it anymore. That, that's how I've dealt with it for my entire adult life. This week, and, and kind of the buildup of the last couple of months of some counseling I've been doing, God has turned all of those ideas on their head and revealed to me that the truth of this passage is not to push us to do more, right? It's to push us to trust more, to believe more, to praise more, to rejoice more. I love what, what Derek even just said about, hey, like our praising, our rejoicing, that's a weapon that we use to combat the lies of the enemy, right? This passage is calling us to sit and let God be God more instead of I just need. There are three, three kind of tools here that I see that Paul gives us to combat anxiety um, that, that we're gonna focus on, right? And then he gives us this promise, right? In verse seven, the promise is that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. Okay, so the three things that we see. In verse four, he says rejoice always. Uh, in verse five, he says the Lord is at hand. And then in verse six, he talks about this thankful prayer. Okay, so let's, let's go back and read verse four again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The beginning of chapter three, Paul wrote, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And here he says it again and again. He's repeated himself here, I think, for emphasis, but he's also doing something else, right? He's telling us, telling the Philippians that he's going to continue to remind us, right? I will say it again, I will say it again. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Right, he's, he's practicing what he displayed for them right back, back in the beginning of, of this letter. Um, in chapter one, he told them that, hey, I'm, I'm imprisoned, um, but yes, I will rejoice, right? I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Right, so he's telling them and reminding himself, as time goes on, as I live through this imprisonment, I'm going to continue to rejoice because I know Christ is coming. I'm going to continue to do this. And now he's telling us, he's reminding us, rejoice, rejoice. He's reminding us to remind each other to rejoice. Okay. Why? He says rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say. Why do we need those reminders? I think the answer is pretty simple. Right? I think it's one that we all know, right? Um, has anyone ever experienced something in your life that's made it difficult for you to have joy? <laughs> um, suffering, difficulty, sin, brokenness, pain, everything that's just part of the human experience, right? We all know a lack of joy. That's just part of our lives. Right? God reminds us here again and again and again because he knows we need it. He knows we need that reminder. He knows that there are continually gonna be things that rob us of our joy. That is one of, one of the tools of the enemy is, is to steal that, that joy that we have from us. And so he has to continue to tell us, not because we're weak, but because we're human and we're broken and we need it. We need the help, we need the reminder. But he doesn't just leave us with that. He doesn't just say rejoice and then walk away. He also tells us how we can, right? He gives us the object of our joy. Rejoice in the Lord. If we flip back, if you want to turn with me, you can. Uh, back in Luke chapter 10, I have one of the most just powerful examples of this, like lived out, this kind of practiced out. So in Luke, Luke chapter 10, um, it says that, that Jesus says the Lord, he appointed 72 others and sent them out to go and, and do the work of the ministry. Right? He said, go into every town and every place, 
because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. People are ready, I'm gonna send you out, go. Um, and then he gives them power, right? He tells them, uh, see here. whenever you're under time, so heal the sick, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's come to you, right? So he give, gives them power to go out and to do this. Okay, let's, let's pick it up here in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, even, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Quick pause here. Um, This is huge, right? Up to this point in his ministry, Jesus has been the one working the miracles. He's been the one casting out the demons. He's been the one healing the sick. Um, Back at the beginning of chapter nine, Jesus kind of did the same thing with his disciples. He gave them, he said, I'm giving you authority over demons and to heal all sicknesses and to proclaim the kingdom of God. So he sent, sent his disciples out. Okay, now he widens the circle, brings in another 72, gives them authority to do the same thing. Right? Just the fact that he expanded his inner circle from like he had his three and the 12 disciples, now he's bringing in another 72 people, that's a huge thing. Right? Can you imagine what it might have been like to be one of those 72? Okay, you've seen, you've seen Jesus with his 12, right? He, he ministers, he speaks, and then he, okay, I need a break. And he steps back and brings these 12 disciples with him when he needs his break, and that's it. He doesn't, doesn't invite the crowds to come with him. When he needs rest, he has, has his group, right? Shortly before this, this interaction was when Jesus fed the 5,000, right? He had a couple dinner rolls and a few fish and fed 5,000 men, women, children. Um, and then again, he stepped back to rest. He took the 12 in a boat and went across a lake because he needed some space, Okay, now your name's getting called, right? You've heard the teaching, you've seen him, you recognize this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for for all of these years, right? And he says, hey, Steve, hey, Rochelle, hey, Ashley, Sam, Lindsay, Dara, guess what? It's your turn now, right? I'm giving you power. I'm giving you power to heal your friends and family that are sick. I'm giving you power to rebuke the spiritual fortress of darkness, right? Go, go out and do this, right? And so you do. And you get to experience the power of God at work, right? You are the one as the, the conduit of that power to cast out a demon from a girl who's been possessed for years and taken advantage of as a fortune teller, right? You get to free her from that and experience that with him. You get to take the hand of a child who's never walked and raise them up and walk with them and take them to their parents and experience the joy of a mother and a father seeing their child walk for the first time. You get to step into the home of someone who is dying from some disease that no one can explain, and in a moment, they're back to normal, right? So you come running back to Jesus. You tell him, hey, Lord, the demons are subject to us in your name. I commanded evil spirit to leave, and they did. I told someone to rise and walk, and they did, right? And then Jesus says, yeah, I know. I saw Satan himself fall. Not only did he fall, not only did we score victory after victory in this war, he fell so hard and so fast, it looked like a bolt of lightning shooting down from the sky. Can you feel that, that excitement to be part of that group? Like, man. I can only imagine what that would have been like. So after all of this, right, telling them what he saw, he saw Satan fall like lightning. Jesus kind of closes this interaction, closes this, this final teaching moment 
by saying, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I don't think Jesus is telling them here that they shouldn't be excited to have victory, right? That's, that's a no-brainer. We should all be excited to have victory in our lives. He isn't telling them that they shouldn't rejoice in those experiences, in, in partnering with him in ministry, right? But he's telling them, man, this joy that you feel right now, this emotional high that you're experiencing, right? That joy is available every single day. You can have it every day because your name is in the book of life. Yes, you cast out demons. Yes, you struck the enemy right where it hurt and he fell so hard and so fast, lightning struck the ground. And, do you know what's even more exciting than that? Your soul is destined for heaven. You are secure in your salvation for all of eternity. This peace of power that you experienced, walk with me for the last few days, right? You're gonna experience that for all of eternity, living with me in heaven. Your name is written in the book of life. You can rejoice always, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Um, back at the beginning of June, uh, my sister, Emily, um, sent, sent my family a group message and just kind of walked through some things that had been going on uh, with her oldest, her 11-year-old daughter, Eliana, right? The kind of the, the super short version. Earlier this year, Ellie had strep, um, didn't exhibit any of the typical symptoms of strep, and so they didn't identify it right away, and the virus kind of spread through her body. Um, and it got to her heart. The virus damaged one of the valves in her heart um, so that it developed a heart murmur, which means it's not closing fully, blood's flowing the wrong direction, right? Her, her heart's not working like it's supposed to. Um, they went in penicillin treatments that kind of took care of the virus. It kind of cleaned everything up. And the hope was that her body, now that the virus is out of the way, her body could move to healing that damaged heart valve. So I was back in Kansas City for the 4th of July um, and had some time to talk, like sit in person and, hey, how's it going? What's going on? Let's, let's talk together. Tell, tell me what's happening. Um, as you can imagine, there's some anxiety there for my sister and my brother-in-law um, that their 11-year-old is walking through this kind of this unknown, right? Um, at that point, they were going into the doctor weekly, doing EKGs and echocardiograms and all of these words. I don't even understand exactly what they are, but just check in on the weekly progress to see if her body was going to heal it on its own or if they were going to have to look at open heart surgery on an 11-year-old, right? The midst of that uncertainty, all the back and forth, <laughs> there was this joy that was just kind of an undertone in those conversations, Right? Um, several years ago, Ellie professed faith in Jesus. Um, she sat down with, with the pastor of their church, and he asked her a lot of questions, and she he said, yeah, she shared the gospel with me more clearly than many adults. I absolutely will baptize her um, as a sister in Christ. And so my 11-year-old niece, um, a few years ago, she was baptized, and since then, there's been this clear evidence in her life of just this transformational faith, right? My sister talks about how she, she's such an encourager. She Every week she runs up and uh, after, the, after the service tells Pastor, you did such a good job today um, with your sermon. Like she's just this, has this spirit of encouragement in her. Um, there's joy there because her name is written in the book of life. Right. That alone, right, that, that alone, her name written in the book of life brought this peace um, for my sister and for her husband and their five other kids. <laughs> um, 
Emily's able to rejoice because her name is written in the book of life, right? Ellie is able to rejoice because her name is written in the book of life. As a family, we're all able to rejoice because my niece, her name is in the book of life. She's going to be with Jesus. That means, right, as Paul wrote it, for Ellie to live as Christ and to die is gain. Even at 11 years old, to die means freedom from a broken body, from a defective heart, freedom from the distance that we have from Jesus, right? Death in this world is a transition to full and complete life with Jesus. That's why we can rejoice that our name is in the book of life. If you know Jesus as your savior, there is peace. There is comfort because we have an eternal perspective as we remind ourselves of this truth. We rejoice in that truth. It keeps our perspective on heaven and off circumstances today. Okay, so first, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Then the second, the Lord is at hand. Um, that statement often gets skipped over because it's the end of verse five. So when, like, like I said, when you're, when you're memorizing, you know, you jump to, do not be anxious, right? But at the end of, of verse five, he says, the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious. Um, that idea is just like the Lord is, is near. If, if you're talking about like, like, a, like a military a battle, a, a siege that's happening, yeah, the enemy is at the gates, the enemy is at hand. They're right here, right here with us. Obviously, in this, in this case, it's more of a positive, um, but that's, that's the point, right? So he's reminding us, so Paul says, hey, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, the Lord is with us. Do not be anxious about anything. I'm gonna say that again, but this time I'm gonna change my emphasis a little bit. Right? When we read this, it's easy to focus on do not be anxious, right? The Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. But I think if we read it correctly, it actually sounds like this, okay? The Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. Do you feel that difference, that shift in the Lord is at hand, so I don't need to be anxious? Instead of, yeah, the Lord's at hand, I'm so anxious, right? The shift there is, is on the perspective on Jesus, right? The do not be anxious is a byproduct, right? It's a byproduct of rejoicing in the Lord and recognizing he is here with us. Back in Isaiah chapter six, we have one of the most incredible pictures of God in all of scripture. Um, and one of the most powerful encounters that any human being has ever had, had with God, right? We looked at this, uh, this passage together back in March. Um, you might remember there are two different Hebrew names that are both translated into Lord in, in the English in that passage, right? One is the name Yahweh, and the other is the name Adonai, right? Those names just give us different, different pictures, different ideas, remind us of, of who God is. And there's, there's Jehovah, there's, there's all kinds of other names in the Bible, um, but those two, I think, really also speak to this, this idea, so Adonai, the sovereign ruler, right? The Lord is at hand, don't be anxious. The sovereign king is here, the sovereign king over all creation, right? If you're worried about what's gonna happen tomorrow with some political decision, yeah, well, the sovereign king is here with us. Okay, presidents are elected, kings and queens live and die, bosses, companies come and go, but the sovereign king, right, he's here. He's not going anywhere. And then we have the name Yahweh, okay? Yahweh was the most holy name the Israelites had for God, right? It was, it was so holy, they, they viewed, had so much respect for it that only the high priest would speak it out loud and only once a year when he went into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice. Um, when they wrote it out in writing, they skipped all the vowels. We actually don't fully know the correct spelling because to translate it properly is to translate it Y-H-W-H, which we can't really pronounce. 
Um, there are some that, that even think it's a three-syllable word, not two syllables. Right, but that, that was, they just viewed like God is so holy and so other, like Yahweh. Okay, the Holy One of Israel, the creator of everything that was, the Almighty, right? Yahweh, right? he stood up in the boat, commanded the sea to be still, and the wind and the waves obey him. You remember that? You remember that story, that interaction? The disciples were in the boat, Jesus is asleep, storms are getting crazy, like we're gonna sink, we're gonna die. They wake him up, and he stands up and says, hey, calm down, be still. And instantly, it's bright outside, it's sunny, the waves stop, and they're just like, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Right. Yahweh, who took five small loaves of bread and two sardines and fed 5,000 people. Yahweh, who brought a flood over all the earth to purge the world of evil while preserving his chosen people, the remnant for himself. Right. Yahweh, who parted the Red Sea and let the Israelites walk forward on dry ground. Yahweh, who gave Abraham and Sarah a child when they were well beyond childbearing years. They had no business having kids. Yahweh, who said, let there be light, and created time. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world without time? It doesn't even make sense. Four words. He created time. Let there be light. Hey, we have days and nights now. Right? Yahweh, who hung on the cross pouring his own wrath on himself for all the sins of mankind, past, present, future, and said the debt is paid in full, it is finished. <clears throat> Yahweh, who then after paying that debt, rising from the dead, defeating death, Satan, and sin, then writes your name, if you trust him, in the book of life. Okay. Yahweh is at hand, so don't be anxious. Rejoice in the Lord always, because your name is written in the book of life. Right? The Lord is at hand. The one who wrote down your name, he is the one that's here with us. Right? Then Paul says to pray. But he says, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, verses 5 and 6 again. Okay? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In everything by prayer and supplication. So prayer is, is a simple word just talking about prayers we bring to the Lord. Just general, day to day. Thank you for this food. Thank you for my kids. Just, just the basic prayers. The idea of supplication, there's a, that is like this, um, some, some definitions throw the word begging in when, when you see the word supplication. This deep, like, need. Um, the, the Greek word there is defined as a heartfelt petition arising out of deep personal need, okay? A heartfelt petition arising out of deep personal need. I don't know about you, but it isn't natural for me to include rejoicing and thanksgiving when I am begging God with this deep personal need, right? It's all I can think about is, oh man, that's it. There's no, there's no joy in the Lord. There's nothing, oh, I have this thing that I need, right? But that's exactly what we're told to do here when we have this deep personal need is, is to know, enter first with rejoicing, enter with thanksgiving, and then let your requests be made known to God. Okay. Uh, about a month ago, the decision was made to schedule heart surgery for Ellie. Okay. 
the virus had cleared everything up, but, but the damage, uh, just her body couldn't heal it on its own. So she had to say, okay, we're gonna schedule a surgery. Um, the, the first choice is to repair the damaged heart valve because she's a growing human, and if we replace it now, you probably have to replace it again in the future. So let, let's try repair um, and allow her body to continue to grow and just kind of keep an eye on it. And then we always have the option as an adult to go in and replace it. Um, so for the last month, right, we've been praying um, kids have been praying um, and anticipating what we were told was going to be a four-hour open-heart surgery. Um, Thursday was the day, this past Thursday. So Liam, my oldest, he's six months younger than Ellie. Um, he's cried probably three or four times as we've talked about this together. Because it's like, it's like, man, that's me. <laughs> it's his cousin. Um, me imagine him going through something like this, right? When I put myself in Emily and Ty's shoes, there's a lot of fear and anxiety that I've been living with over the last month the last week, and then Thursday in particular, as she's going in for the surgery. So I was at work on Thursday. Um, as the morning went on, I kind of had to work harder and harder to stay focused and, and do the things that I needed to do. Um, we were kind of expecting an update around noon to one. Hey, surgery's over. Okay, what, what's going on, right? About four hours. Um, so right around one, we get a message from my sister that the repair didn't work, right? Surgeon tried three times to repair that valve, but just couldn't, so he's like, okay, the only option now is to pivot and we gotta replace it. That's the only choice we have. We, I can't fix it. It's, it's too broken. Um, again, not the first choice, but okay, that's, that's the option. That also added three hours, right? So she's been on the table for four hours with her heart stopped, her blood being pumped by a machine to keep her brain functioning. Hey, we're gonna tack on three more hours. Which, first of all, modern medicine's insane that that's possible. Um, but so in, in that moment, right, I get this message from my sister that I know was not what she wanted. Um, God said, okay, here you go. You're preparing to preach this. You're going to learn it real time. <laughs> okay, let's, let's do it. So sitting at my desk at work, I said, all right, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to your promise that you're going to give me peace if I do this, okay? So I didn't. I prayed. I thank God that my name's in the book of life. I thank God that Ellie's name is in the book of life, and that no matter what, that doesn't change. I think, Tim, that in the Psalms, he says he knits us together in our mother's womb, right? He knows our bodies so intimately. He knows the damage. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what is needed for her to be healthy, right? I thanked him for that, okay? I thanked him for the miracle of modern medicine, that the best option can be, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have you sit for seven hours with your heart not beating, um, not only that is it possible, but that can even result in like flourishing and, and health. That, that's incredible. I thank God for that. Right, and then I poured out my supplication, right? Please heal her. Guide the surgeon's hand. Right. My sister and her husband sitting in a waiting room all day long, helpless to do anything for their daughter. I cannot, cannot imagine. And I felt some peace. About 20 minutes. <laughs> And so I prayed again. And I felt peace for about 30 minutes. And I prayed again and again. And I, did. I prayed four times in that three-hour span. About the time I was ready, I realized, uh, about the time I was ready to pray again, I realized I was sitting, I was like this, sitting at my desk, just like, <laughs> I was wiped out. Um, and I wasn't even there, right? Um, we get the message from my sister, hey, it went great. Valve replacement worked. Surgeon is confident it's gonna be successful. Um, two more hours, and then we finally get to see her. So, you know, nine, 10 hours, they finally get to see her again. Right, of course, everyone's praising Jesus for the outcome. Um, here's the thing, though. There was a very real part of me that for those three hours, 
what if it doesn't work? And I was dealing with it. I was considering that reality. What if it doesn't work? Okay. Maybe 11 years is all that God had written for Eliana. Okay. And I had some peace, right? There was sadness. I still felt some anxiety, right? Stomach was, was rolling a little bit, but, but there was a peace in that too. Right? I started with joy. I started with remembering who God is, remembering my standing, remembering my niece's standing, remembering who he was, rejoicing in those things, thanking God for his promises, even if I didn't believe him in the moment, thanking him for what he said. And then I poured myself out and said, God, I I need you. I need you. Okay. One of the things that, um, one of the things I've been learning too, walking through this counseling that I've been doing, um, God created us in such a way that just talking about things like this is actually healing. So this, um, there's a uh, right, hormone, uh, cortisol. When we go through something that's, that's a really hard, difficult, cause a lot of anxiety, it raises the cortisol levels in our body to where it's kind of that fight or flight. And when we remember those things, that those hormones, like, it comes back. The cortisol levels raise again. When we process, when we talk about it with someone, that introduces dopamine, which brings down the cortisol. Right? God created the chemicals in our body to pray. <laughs> said, hey, you're feeling anxious? Talk about it with me, and you will calm down. Like physically, hormonally, you will calm down, and there'll be a spiritual peace as well, right? God created us for this. He created us to be needy. He created us when we're afraid to seek something, right? That's how he built our bodies, our minds, our souls, and our spirits, right? Anxiety has its root in fear, okay? When we allow that fear to take hold, whether we're dwelling on it, or just ignoring it like I have for 20 years, right? Anxiety kind of creeps in, okay? God's telling us, hey, I created you this way. I'm here. I'm at hand. So you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be afraid, right? Rejoice that your name's written in the book of life, okay? Thank me for all of the promises that you have, right? Remember that no matter what happens, neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, Things present nor things to come, no powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we, as we move towards communion, there's one, one last interaction that we have back in, uh, back in Luke chapter 10 that I want to look at. Um, it's at the end of the chapter, so Jesus is now at 72, he's done some other things, and they're continuing on their, on their travels, and they go into a village to, to be with some friends, okay? Um, it says that, so uh, pick it up, so Luke 10, pick it up, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay. How many of us are Martha, right? We're doing the activities, we're doing all the things, but in the busyness, we've missed the point. Okay, right. we've missed the point. Martha was distracted with much serving, and he said to her, you're anxious and troubled, one thing is necessary, right? Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary chose to sit with me and to listen and to be with me, okay? That's 
what we need when there's fear and anxiety. It's not more activity. It's not more action. It's not all of these things. It's, okay, Lord, I, I trust you. My name's in the book of life. I can experience a piece of that now, and there's more coming, and I can rejoice in that. I'm so thankful that whatever it is, like you promised me in this situation, you are this. You are good. You are wise. You are true. You are X, Y, Z, right? And we sit with him, and he brings peace. We don't have to go find it. He says the peace of God will guard you. He brings it to us. As we, as we take communion today, right, I encourage you, remember to choose the good portion, right, to sit with our Lord. Remember that. Right, as, as you are, as you're thinking about the, the broken body and the shed blood, remember to rejoice that your name is written in the book of life because of what Christ has done for you. And nothing can take that away. Father, thank you for, thank you for salvation, Lord. I just... Um, I want to pray right now, Lord, if, if there is um, and any person here or online or listening to this podcast in the future, Lord, that doesn't, doesn't know you, doesn't know that salvation, Lord, um, just ask that, that you will stir and move in them, Lord, because there is so much peace with you. Father, for those of us that know you, those of us that trust you, thank you. Thank you that you descended, you walked on this earth. Thank you that you faced what we face. Thank you that you were tempted, you were beaten, you were broken, you were hungry, you were thirsty, you were sick, you were tired. Thank you that you've walked in all of it. Thank you that we have confidence because you go before us. Thank you that when we don't even know what to pray, your spirit prays for us. Lord, there are so many truths and so many promises for any situation we find ourselves in. Lord, help us to, to remember that and to be to be a broken people, to be a weak people, to be a people that pray over and over and over and to be okay with needing to pray over and over and over to find peace. Thank you for the, the promise that we have that we remember with communion. We pray in your name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.